Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. What's up and welcome to the Hashtag Laker Podcast, part of the Hoop Heads Podcast Network. I'm Yo Legazzo, and I'm joined by, by McKay Westbrook and John Webb Legazzo. And today we also have uh, Coach Mark Tinklenberg of Dublin Kaufman High School in Ohio on the line with us. Hey, Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Good, good, hey, good. Yeah, doing well. Good. Hey, so uh, you were born and raised in L.A., you played some college basketball, Played semi-professionally for two years before coaching, right? Yep, that is all correct. Yeah, I played, uh, was born in California, and then uh, a lot of my family is still there, actually. And we moved to the Midwest when I was uh, in elementary, and then I grew up and graduated from Dublin Coffin, which is in Ohio, in Columbus, Ohio. And then ended up playing college around here and then played for two teams uh, after and then got into coaching. Um basically right after I got done playing. So I've been, this is, this will be my 11th year coaching already at my alma mater, which is kind of cool. And it's a big wow. division here in Columbus. And uh, we've had a lot of really good players come through the program, including uh, Chris Quinn, who's one of my good friends, who is one of the head assistants for the Miami heat. So was in the running for the Indiana Pacers job, actually. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I thought. <laughs> Oh, that's my that's my cool claim to fame is is being really good friends with him. He kind of gives me all the little inside tidbits that that he's got going on, and it was cool hearing about the bubble experience and everything like that with the Heat. So, yep, yeah, we have a little insider here. <laughs> <laughs> I know a Heat insider at that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say hey, he'd be like, "Hey, who who are you rooting for tonight in the finals?" I'm like, "Come on, man, you already." He's like, "Family over." <laughs> No, no, not tonight, buddy. Not tonight. <laughs> Can't ask me that question. That's right. <laughs> that's yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Well, no, we we appreciate you coming and hopping on the show here. I I, I think, uh, you know, having you know you with the coaching experience, uh, your perspective, I think it's going to be a little bit, you know, it's going to be valuable uh, on the show to this with us today because today we're going to kind of take a step back from all of this sort of off season craziness with, with rumors bouncing off the walls every hour uh, and kind of take a look back at our Lake Lakers coaching staff. 
And I want to get into each member of the coaching staff and then kind of discuss how their collective efforts impacted or influenced the postseason run to win it all. And then, you know, how, you know, kind of talk about how they prepared for each team, what adjustments they made and implemented in each series is, is sort of what we'll talk about. Then on the last segment, um, you know, we'll get back on track and get back into offseason mode because uh, there's a few reports that came out that floated around about the Lakers and we'll give our thoughts and, and discuss those. But let, let's kind of discuss, let's, let's begin our discussion now. Um, you know, every team with championship aspirations, uh, regardless of sport that you play, needs to have the, the right group of people capable of doing the job, leading the team, making the right adjustments, saying the right words to kind of motivate players to take their game to the next level to, to kind of to win it all, right? I, I do want to get into those, you know, like we talked about those adjustments later and what, what they were, how they were made. But let's go through each of these coaches first here uh, um, and, and talk about each one and how they may have individually impacted uh, our team, you know, and I'll start with Frank Vogel. Um, he came right from the film room. He was a video coordinator for the Boston Celtics. That's how he started. Then he became an assistant coach uh, in the, at 76ers left became an advanced scout for actually he was an advanced scout for the for the lakers and then the wizards back in mid 2000s became an assistant coach for the pacers and then eventually became a head coach there did a stint at orlando before coming to los angeles so what do you guys so how do you guys think uh frank vogel did this season with the lakers and what kind of impact did you think he individually made for his team based on his experience well, I'll, I'll jump in real quick just because um, I did I did quite a bit of research on him. Uh, I was very I was one of the skeptical ones to start, uh, as we all know. Yeah. I think I think overall, if, if I'm not mistaken, he was the Lakers third actual choice. I mean, he was not their top choice, as we as we know. Um, but all indications were that he just absolutely blew them away uh, in the interview based on based on where he started, which was the film room. Um, he is one that, to me, uh, if you get a standing ovation after a film session from an NBA player named LeBron James, you're doing something pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and so for me, as somebody that, that breaks that down with, I know it's at the high school level, but the amount of detail from what I understand that he's that he's actually very similar to, um, to um, the Heat head coach, um, and he—they're he, very similar. They both started as video coordinators, and Coach Spo, and and they kind of view basketball the same way: let the players play and just give your input. And I, from what I understand, the scouting reports are just beyond detailed. So, um, allowing the other coaches to coach, I understand. I know Phil Handy has commented on it about how Frank lets him be himself and, and add the input. And Phil obviously has many personal connections with, and we'll talk about him soon, I'm sure, but has many of those personal connections. I know he let Jason Kidd kind of run the offense and, and so on and so forth. So that's what a good head coach does, right? I mean, they let the assistants do what they're best at. So uh, to me, 10 out of 10, it will break down the different series, uh, but he is an absolute perfect hire for this team that's made up of veterans that doesn't need a whole lot of, uh, they don't need a whole lot of like motivation. They need um, details and directions and being able to execute that. And that's what he brings. So 
Yeah. Um, I, you know, what, what came to my mind, uh, when, when you mentioned that is, uh, I don't know if, if you guys remember, but years back when Mike Brown was the coach of the Lakers, uh, and he had just been fired, um, their assistant coach, I, I believe it was Bernie Bickerstaff that, um, ran the, the Lakers for a little bit before they found a new head coach and, you know, he, it, it kind of just seemed like he walked in there and was like, all right, well, you guys, uh, you guys go play ball and see what you can do. <laughs> and, and it was really funny because over that stint where he was the head coach, they actually, uh, they did pretty well. Um, and sometimes that's all it is. You know, you just need somebody to come in and kind of orchestrate and, and not force things and just let the players be who they're going to be. You know, LeBron James is an incredible player. He's got incredibly high basketball IQ and he knows how to run his teams. He knows what it takes to win a championship. And I, I was in, incredibly surprised that they were able to get this team all together in one year that him and AD were able to mesh so quickly. And I think you're right. It's um, large part due to um, Frank Vogel, just being able to come in and, and let them be themselves and, and do what they do. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that Mark, you know, said he's the perfect hire for the team because I, you know, I like you, Mark. I didn't think that at all when, when I heard his name called uh, for a spot. Like, like I thought for sure we were gonna get Ty Lue. Like mm-hmm. that's that's for sure who I thought right. it was. Right. And and you know, I didn't like really what he did uh, offensively with, uh, you know, with Orlando and even Indiana. You know, shying away from isolations and maybe underperforming with. With the you know you kind of talked about it like the the fluid movements and the actions there, but but seeing seeing that scheme the modern team and really a true like point playmaker in LeBron James and Rondo, uh, it's not bad, mm-hmm. you know it's not bad at all. He he just needed a LeBron and a Rondo mm-hmm. that like defensively though, like defensively. I think he's arguably the best defensive coach in the NBA today. Yep. His def- his defense. Go oh, go ahead. It's, I was just gonna say it's him or Coach Bolster. I mean, it, it, that's why they were both those guys. The way that they scheme for teams is just it is so much better than everybody else that I saw in the playoffs. And, and I mean, I watched maybe ninety nine percent of the games. I you just didn't see that from any other teams. Uh, you know, there's a reason why Miami just blew the doors really off of uh, Milwaukee. I mean, the, right. the scheme, yeah, yeah. teams, the zone out of nowhere. Then we're going to come back and switch everything. Then we're, and Frank does similar stuff. I mean, he just he has all that. He, he gets those guys in great position defensively uh, to make plays right. and get out, which is what they do great. So, yes, I agree 100 percent. Yeah. And, you know, I remember reading this before, but he came to the Lakers and Really, if you get rid of the Orlando years, because those are really like, you know, kind of rebuilding, tanking years for Orlando. Uh, Frank Bogle, uh, I read somewhere, had the the best defensive rating since like 2013, 2014. Wow, yep. So that's like, that's crazy to me, right? Because you think about those other defensive teams and for Frank Vogel to have the best defensive rating, it's like crazy. Right. Wow, that's that's crazy. I didn't know that. Um, 
let, let's move on to Jason Kidd. You know, he, he's the, the um, what is he, the second in line, the, the assistant coach. Uh, you know, we, of course, we know what, who Jason Kidd is, his accomplishments as a player. He's a champion, uh, even beating LeBron James in the heat back in 2011 to get that championship ring. Uh, you know, and he, of course, he had some 10 years in Brooklyn and, and the Milwaukee Bucks coaching Giannis. Um, uh, before taking this Lakers job, you know, he had, uh, he, I guess he had a successful records with the Nets, right? And he even earned, <laughs> he earned, even earned some, some, uh, some Eastern Conference Coach of, of the Month awards. So um, what did you guys think of, of, of Jason Kidd? Um, I know that there were some rumors that flew around in the off season, right? But uh, what did you guys think about him and how he sort of impacted this, this team with his insane IQ? Honestly, like uh, Mark was saying, you know, he pretty much ran the offense. I, you know, I saw him as our offensive coordinator, you know, for the team. And Hall of Famer um, Isaiah Thomas recently uh, tweeted out or, or said in an interview that, um, you know, that, that kid understands these offenses and defenses because he's had to dissect it. You know, he's played against it and he was really successful uh, as a player understanding it. Um, uh, he said, and I quote, there isn't a defense that hasn't been invented that Jason Kidd hasn't played against and beat. And yeah, that's that's that. Kidd. That's Kidd in a nutshell. Yeah, and you know, I <laughs> thing about Jason Kidd is he is a little squirrely. Something about him personally, I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> However, this coaching staff was very carefully orchestrated. Uh, and there was a reason that all of those rumors were going on that, you know, he was going to be, he, Frank Bowles was going to get fired and this is just Jason Kidd's way in. But yeah. with that being said, give the guy a lot of credit, uh, was always doing his job and it was, he was very carefully picked, uh, right. whether by Vogel or LeBron or, um, you know, the, the, whoever it was between those two guys, uh, they had a large hand in getting Jason Kidd to do this. Um, and yeah, maybe he did one other head job, but he really, um, orchestrated that offense in a way where the adjustments that he made, as he said, clear as day that he has seen every defense and the counters that he would throw in. Um, I'm just thinking out loud here that, that uh, play they had with the, the double staggered screen with KCP and LeBron, LeBron would hit KCP mm. and, or hit Dwight and, and then KCP would backdoor and it was just layup, 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 three, three. And to me, I was just like, Oh my God, this dude is just sitting over there. He's almost just clowning this other team. He's just drawing up counter after counter after counter after counter. And it was like bucket, 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 bucket. And they, they had, a, they had an answer to really everything defensively. A lot of the greatness of LeBron shine through there, um, but sure, sure, right. He um, he was very carefully picked for his position. I, I do know that, and he did a really good job in this role. Never stepped on anybody's toes, and um, right. was actually surprisingly quiet, wasn't he? I don't know. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, a, another another well thought out hire this year, and, and ended up perfectly in that role. Yeah, I, I think he was great. Um, you know, his career speaks for for itself, and uh, I, I don't really have a 
a whole lot more to add to to what you guys have thrown in there, but, um, you know, it it just seems like a, uh, I don't know, but a bunch of genius basketball minds getting together that just works. Um, Jason (laughs) Kidd, LeBron, Rondo, you know, they, they know how to run the game and when he can see it from, uh, that off the court perspective as well, you know, on and off, I I think it's just great. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and, and Kobe was a big fan of Kid and always wanted to play right. with him, you know? Mm-hmm. And and don't forget, it was Kid and the Mavs who dethroned, dethroned you know, Kobe and Powell. <laughs> <laughs> you, make, you make a very, very good point. And don't forget, when Rob Palenka was doing those hires, you know he had uh, Kobe uh, had his ear, and you know oh, he yeah. was by him. And I'm sure he said that guy is an absolute genius because they're actually very similar with how cerebral they were when they played, both of uh-huh. those guys. Mm-hmm. So very similar in that mindset. So crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and move on to uh, Lionel Hollins. You know, he spent some, you know, he's been in the, in the NBA for a long time, <laughs> spent some time with the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, even took the team to the Western conference finals back in 2013. Uh, and then, you know, um, you, San Antonio Spurs, of course, swept them, but uh, um Lionel Hollins, what do, you, what do you guys think, you know, how, how do you guys think he, he kind of impacted the game? I know that he didn't get to go to the bubble, but it seems like he, it seemed like he was, he was part of the discussions, you know, throughout the whole, the whole postseason uh, there. Yeah, I think, I think they had like the Anthony Davis called the, the Lionel cam, just kind of sitting there off the court <laughs> yeah. during practices. Yeah. And, you know, he would kind of just watch from the, from the corner and you know as i understand it uh you know it's it's hard to game plan right coach w- without knowing what the other team is doing offensively and defensively and as i understand it hollands was a was a big part of their their scouting uh scouting for reporting what the other teams would would be would be doing yep and you know this this man is a is honestly like a defensive guru you mentioned the you know memphis he spent 4 years with the memphis grizzlies and they were really a staple in the Western Conference. And what brought them there was that hard-nosed, grinding defense. Mm-hmm. You know, remember Marcus Gasol and Zach Randolph? No one wanted to face them because they were, they were tough, right? And credit a lot of our, honestly, our defensive intensity and, like, our attention to detail to, to Hollins. I kind of took the words right out of my mouth. You said exactly what I was going to say about him being in his time in Memphis. And he had a, a little bit, uh, you can tell he worked with Vogel really carefully about using those, those two big lineups as he did mm-hmm. in Memphis. Right. Funnel guards, how mm-hmm. funnel guards right into that, that large backcourt and let them protect the rim. And, you know, you have guys like Dwight and you have guys like JaVale and then AD and LeBron and he, you know, you can just tell his staple was on it. It was very similar to what he did in Memphis, the way that they pressure on the perimeter. They get guys off the three-point mm-hmm. line, funnel them into the bigs, and then you got those bigs just crashing down from all angles. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bruise them. Right? And that was really what he did, as he said, with Gasol and Zach Randolph. Now, I mean, neither of those two guys were as athletic, but they were tough, tough dudes that took charges. Instead of maybe jumping the block, they were guys that took charges and would just bang you down low. And and you can just see that the Lakers kind of had a similar mindset with that. 
Yeah, it takes its toll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's move on. I want to kind of quickly go through this here for the sake of time. Um, we got uh, Phil Handy's next, right? Right. He he spent some time with the Toronto Raptors. Um, won the title there last year, of course. Spent some time with actually LeBron with the with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, he's he's known as a you know a player development coach. You know. Um, so what, what do you guys think? Uh, you know, how do you guys think he he did? Uh, and how he sort of impacted this team, um, uh, you know, quickly. <laughs> yeah, I'll be quick. Phil Handy was the hire of the offseason in terms of the coaching staff, in my opinion. Right. Hmm. Uh, Thank, you. I, Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Absolutely devastated if he would have gone to the Nets or elsewhere. I think he is a must-have on staff as long as AD decides to stay, as long as LeBron can play, mm-hmm. as long as many guys like that. He is uh, he is higher of the year to me. To me, he might. I know he was just kind of a player. He's a player development guy, but he is assistant of the year to me on this staff. So, wow, wow, I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, there there's a reason he was part of the Cavs, Raptors, and Lakers in their championship runs. I mean, he's he's the dude in Home Depot selling you the tools you didn't think you wanted but needed. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. always he's always like handing you. You know, hey, hey, add this to your toolkit. It's footwork. It's balance. You know, it's form. It's the little things that make you a better player. And that's why, you know, all these all these guys love him. Yeah. And he's a Kobe guy, so I'm in. Yep, yep. He's a Kobe guy. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> Man, I just uh just going back and, and so to watching some of the, the, the highlights, some of the film. Um, you know, <laughs> looking at Kuzma's sort of, you know, he, he took a few of these, a, cu- a couple of these in the postseason where, uh, you know, he backed down his opponents and then did a pull around fadeaway jumper. And I'm like, where did that come from? And you're like, that's Phil freaking handy, dude. That's Phil freaking handy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, <laughs> anyway, I love Phil handy, dude. I hope he stays, you know, uh, assistant coach as long as possible for the Lakers. And um, I, I know that he's probably going to be a head coach someday soon, dude, but because man, his stock is going up. Um, okay. Let's kind of go through these three really quick, you know, Miles Salmon, Mike Pen- Penberthy and, and Quentin Crawford. Uh, they're a little bit more unknown. Mike, Mike, Mike is a little bit more known, right? Cause he played for the Lakers with Kobe and Shaq back in 2001. But what do you guys think about these guys? Miles Simon, Mike Penberthy and, and, and Quentin Crawford. So Miles Simon uh, is really a carryover from like Luke Walton's staff, right? You know, a, a university of Arizona guy. Um, I like him a lot because he's, had a hand in the highest levels of like player development in the United States, you know, with, with the U S national team. And you could, you could tell um, how these guys have improved with his steady hand. Yeah. And Mike, Mike Penberthy was uh, he turned into their uh, shooting coach this year. So I think Mm -hmm. he was hired a little bit, maybe right after training camp started or or shortly after. Right. he was kind of added to the staff Mm -hmm. Uh, and from what i gathered and from what i read about some of the stuff he did um you know they were 
they were really going through some slumps uh, shooting wise, as we know. And he had a big hand in, in AD with his mid range and form. Right. Uh, Andy did a lot of the skill work, but Mike Penberthy did a lot of the shooting with those guys. And um, he apparently, you know, from what I understand, he really helped. Uh, I think the top five or six guys from what I understand read about uh, really when he started working with them, their shooting percentage went up um, really high. And like he said, Miles Simon is a carryover. Um, I don't know exactly what Miles Simon does, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but I do know that he was really good at Arizona. I do remember that. Uh, yeah, that's true. He was. <laughs> that's where I'm at with him. I don't know if he's a hype guy or what. But <laughs> I don't know. What it, <laughs> hey, funny. hype him up. Hype him up. <laughs> hype him up, man. Uh, he, he does have a, a – uh, he did play for the Dakota Wizards and got that CBA championship. I don't know. He's got some, he got some championship caliber experience. And, um, but uh, I want to talk about Quinton Crawford real quick because I feel like this guy is like Frank Vogel's protege <laughs> because he, he, he's a film room guy too. And he actually, yeah. uh, uh, he was he was part of, of uh, Frank Vogel's uh, um, film room guy at the Orlando Magic. So I feel like this guy, you know, he's he's kind of uh, learning the the ropes through through uh, Frank Vogel. Um, but he's also very smart. I mean, Vogel wouldn't have picked him if if he if it wasn't you know, uh, uh, you know, knowledgeable in the film room and and everything. But uh, anyway, uh, why why do we go through this coaching staff like this? You know, uh, I kind of wanted to make a point that the, you know, there's a lot of talks, a lot of criticism. You know, despite all of that, from a lot of people, a lot of ESPN analysts, what they were saying about the makeup of this this coaching staff, and especially like like what we talked about, like the the whole Jason Kidd rumor. Um, this coaching staff they're all pedigreed coaches with different varying experiences and the culmination of them and the, uh, um, of, of, you know, of them together really made one of the best coaching staffs in the league. Uh, and, you know, with, with Vogel's film knowledge and, and defensive coaching style to Jason's kid, you know, high level IQ and offense on the offensive end, uh, you know, that really, is up there with LeBron and Rondo and his championship experience uh, to fill Handy's skills and developing players to to Mike Penberthy's uh, you know shooting um, and, and so forth. They all brought their experiences together, worked as a team, really to get our guys all ready and prepped to ultimately get to the to the finals and lift that Larry O'Brien Trophy. Um, I'm like I'm just I'm so like hyped about having this team i'm glad that none of other teams stole our assistant coaches and that we're all going to be back together next season but uh let's i know we took a, a lot of time uh, discussing those so let's take a quick break uh stay tuned and when we do come back we'll talk about how uh this coaching staff uh impacted the lakers postseason play with the adjustments they made throughout the se each series so we'll be right back and we'll talk to you soon hey hoopheads we appreciate you listening to this episode of hashtag lakers be sure to check out these other nba pods on the hoopheads podcast network including cavalier central risen grind 
Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, and Blazing the Path. Also, don't miss our coaching-focused podcast, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey guys, let me tell you about these delicious protein bars. They're called Built Bars. Ever heard of them? The typical protein bar is dense, gritty, and difficult to chew. Not Built Bar though. The texture is light and fluffy, and it's covered in perfectly tempered, 100% pure dark chocolate. With each bite you take, you will think you are cheating on your diet, indulging on a chocolate dessert. We think you'll agree. There isn't a more delicious way to get your protein. Built Bar is the favorite protein bar of many fitness trainers and fitness enthusiasts alike. My personal favorite is the cookies and cream. It's like eating a candy bar. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LAKERPOD to get 10% off your order. That's promo code LAKERPOD to get 10% off your order at BuiltBar.com. Welcome back to the Hashtag Laker Podcast. I'm here with McKay, John Webb, and, and Mark uh, Tinklenburg. And on this segment of the show, uh, now that we've sort of had a baseline understanding view uh, of who these coaches are uh, that make up the Lakers coaching staff, let's now sort of turn to the page and talk about how this Lakers coaching staff impacted the Lakers postseason run. Uh, because we don't have a lot of locker room insight, right, we'll, we'll look mainly through how they made adjustments during the postseason against each team we faced. Uh, so let's start with the Blazers. The Blazers, you know, what was happening in that series and sort of what, what kind of adjustments did, did you guys see that we made um, to beat them? Well, it, it takes a little bit of uh, thinking back now. It, it it seems like it's been so long since that happened. Um, <laughs> but if you guys remember, at least in, um, I believe it was, the Blazers and the Rocket series that we got we got dealt with in in game one, um, and you know we we got absolutely uh, taken apart and and the Lakers looked like they didn't know what they were doing and they were they were all over the place. We couldn't get anybody going and uh, it, it was just a wreck. Um, and I, I think that really goes to show how quickly our coaching staff was able to make these adjustments to change up our game, our game plan, um, our game style. Uh, you know, they, they knew that we had the better squad overall um, just in, in these game number ones, uh, the, like the Blazers came out with, a plan of attack you know they they knew certain things that they could exploit although they they weren't things that they could uh continue to exploit once once it was made known 
to the players and and we made these adjustments so i i think um i mean and, and look at our run overall through through the playoffs we lost one game in each of the first three series and uh against the heat we we only lost two games um i think that that's a great um testament to to how well our coaching staff did Yeah, I think coming into this first round matchup, I was looking at the Blazers roster and watching some of their film. And this is a team that only lost like two games in the bubble. And Dame was like red hot. You know, Dame time was scary. And he was scary. Like, yeah, he was scary. Like this, this was not like a typical like matchup for a first seed. And we didn't have home advantage, like home, <laughs> like I was looking at this and I was like, oh no. I mean, this, this was a team, right? That featured prolific scores. You had uh, Dame and CJ who really attack well during off screen and during uh, on ball screen situations. Then you had like the solid low post presence with like Nurkic, you know, Car- Carmelo and we'll throw like Whiteside in there too. But that was scary to me. And really the series like hinged on whether we can guard Dame or CJ through those pick and rolls. Cause that's the majority of what they really, that they really ran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you look at the scores of the games, uh, you know, 193 and then LA went 111, 88 blowout 116, 108. And I don't think it was super close. 135, 115 and 131, 122 different than most normal uh, Lakers scores that, that are usually more defensive based and the Lakers can struggle to score a hundred sometimes they really can. Um, right. And so I think that, that the, the switch was, okay, instead of being on our heels, we are going to get out and run and we are going to attack, attack, attack. Mm-hmm. We are, we are going to shoot 35 to 40 free throws a night. Um, and we, <laughs> cause they have, no interior defense. We're going to go right at white side. Exactly. Um, and those little adjustments, I think, changed the whole tempo of the series. And it really got LeBron going offensively. And once he ignited, because game one, he was, if I remember, I know he was, he was off. Something was wrong. Like he right. was not, mm-hmm. they weren't, mm-hmm. them. it was really, it was a clunky game. Uh, and yet they were still up eight with like six minutes to go, if I remember correctly. And then, Damian Lillard kind of exploded late and they ended up losing that lead late and losing by seven. Um, but then, you know, Anthony Davis went for 31. LeBron went for 38 the next game. LeBron went for 30. And then AD finished it off with 43. I think they just right. decided there is nobody out here that can guard us. We're just going to outscore you. Um, and we're going to force you to take tough contested threes. And I know they trapped Dame a lot on those initial screens and they were coming mm-hmm. way out of so those little adjustments took place. They were definitely a better team, but I, I, I agree. When the series first started, I thought, "Oh no, this could really, <laughs> oh, this could go south fast if they don't get something figured out." So, yeah, right, right. I mean, that first game, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be a long series." Uh, one of the things that I saw was because um, you had Portland, who went out there with two bigs. You know, you had you had Nurchik and and Whiteside. And, you know, the, the, the talk was, you know, do we go too big 
or do we, you know, put AD at the five so that he can be more effective at the five and kind of space the floor so that LeBron can go in and drive and, and, and make the basket? That was one of the things that kind of, uh, it, you know, having two bigs, you know, we had we had JaVale and AD out there, clogged the paint, and AD couldn't go, or not AD, LeBron or NAD couldn't go in and penetrate. But, for you know, we made small adjustments and we kept the two big we made those small adjustments so that even though we have those two bigs we could defend that though the 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 blazers attacking you know uh but we could also uh make a way in our offensive scheme for for ad and lebron to, to drive in and, and make those baskets those those baskets you know uh, and we you know they had those two bigs and we 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 stuck with our two bigs and we outplayed them uh, in their own in their own sort of offensive and, and defensive scheme and having those two two bigs. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, right, that the Blazers fought hard to even get that eighth spot. So there was yeah. some issues. There was there were some issues with fatigue, you know. But we saw in Game One how they spread the floor with shooters uh, in the corner and throughout the regular season. Usually, what we do when uh, you know, when they'd run a pick and roll, you know, the Blazers, we'd, we'd do like a drop coverage, you know, or like, and, or really like do like soft hedges. But I think at some point we decided to, uh, like Mark said, like trap them, like really blitz uh, whoever that primary ball handler, handler was, whether it be CJ or Dame. And that's what really, I think, changed the series because they, they got tired. You know, when you're working someone that much on the defensive end, like something's got to give. Yeah, and I remember Gary Trent having to switch onto LeBron, and LeBron just taking the block. <laughs> I remember thinking when he did that, I thought, okay, we're good. We're back to normal. Uh, we can make this happen. They they had so many holes defensively that we just right. we were way we had way too much offensive firepower. Uh, and, uh-huh. and as he said, once we started blitzing, he may never admit it, but you could tell Damian Lillard was gassed. I mean, he mm. was gassed. And defensively right. had no resistance uh, when we started being determined to get to the rim. So, Right. right. No, I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Let's, let's sort of move on to the Rockets. You know, we beat the Blazers. Um, so let's move on to the Rockets series. And what did you guys see there? What kind of adjustments did we we make uh, or did not make right uh, for uh, against this small ball Rockets team? Uh, one of the things that well, I let, let's start first off when the Rockets first got Russell Westbrook, um, I was immediately concerned about them. Um, I saw James Harden and Russell Westbrook being a potential duo that could win the championship this year. Um, they're both deadly in their own regard um, and could absolutely, you know, if they both just caught fire during, during the playoffs could be potentially unstoppable. Um, I, I was particularly worried after that, that first game. Um, I believe we lost by, uh, 15 points and uh, ju- just the Rockets had so many threats from outside 
Um, mm -hmm. So many three-point threats. It, it was pretty incredible. But um, speaking of how the, the coaching staff um, direct, directed this series, I don't know who made this call, um, but I, I'll say uh, it was possibly Coach LeBron that made this call. Uh, for for him to go in there and just absolutely absolutely humiliate Russell Westbrook, um, over and over again throughout the series, like I I feel like LeBron did an incredible job of of shutting him down and not letting him getting going. And that entire series, you know, he just struggled. He couldn't get it going, and um, and I feel like LeBron was a large uh, factor when it came to that. So, you know, I, I think LeBron's as much of the, st the coaching staff as any of the other members. So mm. even if it, if that were his call, um, yeah, great, great decision. Yeah. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. And in that series, I think what they did, uh, if I remember watching, I, I watched back every game, they had a designated helper, a rotate guy that was, they were going to run them off the three point line and they were going to, right. they were the chances and leave one of the guys in the corner and hope that they were going to, and somebody was going to rotate over and meet him at the rim. And LeBron raised his hand and said, I'll take care of that. And <laughs> just, I mean, he was just eating balls out of the air, like just grabbing them at its highest peak. And I, first of all, it's just incredible to watch. But the second part is, it was, a, it was a really smart tactical move. Uh, the other part is, is I think the Rockets actually were the ones that didn't make a good adjustment in that when uh, Westbrook was, when he was setting screens uh, and it would, the ball would get out of James Harden hands off the double team and it would get reversed. Russell Westbrook would, he would never cut to the rim. And, and, mm -hmm. and after uh, the one of their last regular seasons game in Staples center, Russell Westbrook, he went bonkers by doing that. I mean, I think he had like 40 plus in that game in Staples and it was because he was cutting off of that first cut and was just catching it going head down at the rim. And Lakers didn't have an answer for that. They couldn't rotate fast enough and they did not do it in the playoff series. They didn't do it at all. They, he kept popping back and shooting threes. And actually I think LeBron was guarding him and he was just letting him shoot. And he was the rotate guy. Uh, very smart on the Lakers part. You got to pick your poison. You have to live with something uh, when there's five out offense like that. So yeah, it was, it was kind of on both ends. Uh, Lakers dove in after game one and said, okay, yeah, we're going to take it out of his hands. We're going to have a rotate guy. We're going to have to live with the, live with a, uh, somebody else, make it Russell Westbrook making eight or nine threes a game on us. Yeah. And honestly, like Mark, you touched on it. The Rockets did not adjust at all. I think the Rockets came in thinking they were going to be guarding like a big lineup. But all of a sudden, we adjusted and we switched to a small ball. Right. Like, they just never, like, adjusted after that. And I think, like, we even set up, like, a 3-2 zone. Because McKay said, right, they were they were a three-point shooting team. And we, we set up a 3-2 zone and just threw double teams at them. And the, the zone really was a surprise to me. Because to me, zone in the NBA, is, it's, it's really... I don't want to say this, but it's it's too beatable. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, different ways to attack it, but it, that three two zone was perfect. Was a perfect adjustment because you know the, like that was genius because that team did not have like a mid range game, and that's how you attack right. a zone. Mm -hmm. 
Right, right. I, I feel like I feel like, you know, the Rockets were like they were trying to 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 be better than the Golden State Warriors in the small ball game. And then we went small ball and we outplayed them in their own small ball game. Like it felt like, you know, it, like how like what I said with the Portland Trailblazers, we outplayed those guys with the big the two big game and and here in this series we outplayed their small ball game and I I don't know I just uh, um, I, I feel I, I mean it, it sucked that McGee and Howard c- couldn't play but you know it was for it was for the you know I I always go back to to um, <laughs> this animated film that uh, I you know used to watch as a kid it was ants you know it was for the good of the colony <laughs> but anyway uh, let's now let's go. Uh, you know, go to the, to the next series. It's, we went against the, the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. Uh, of course, we know the Denver Nuggets beat beat the Clippers. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, you want to do the rest of the segment on that epic meltdown, or should we just should we just do that? <laughs> <laughs> So, no, so let's 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 talk about you know what we saw, uh, in the in this series quickly, and then we can get uh, move on to the the heat. So this series to me was nail biting, uh, really because you had two guys right Murray and Jokic who could get buckets, but they did it so differently. You know, the, the Murray pick and roll, and then you have the Jokic post-up. And this man is an outstanding playmaker. So you sprinkle in some Murray handoffs and isolations, and you had like a dangerous offensive team. And that's probably what the Clippers didn't understand. And this series is really where we saw one of the, one of the uh, uh, I guess, starting lineup adjustments that Frank Vogel did, and that's pretty much take McGee to the back seat and start Howard. And that's when we saw the reemergence of Howard and really, you know, him as a, as a Laker favorite. Yeah. He, um, I remember and what, when it got really dangerous is when Grant started making threes. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Things got really dangerous uh, in all those games. And, and quite frankly, he he was, to me, I mean, he was definitely their third best player, but there were times he was their best player in that series in certain moments in games um, when specifically when Dwight was really frustrating Jokic with his physicality. Um, and he did a really good job of taking Jokic out of rhythm. Um, and Murray, I feel like uh, Murray had his way until – LeBron decided I will take him as well um, and do what I do defensively there. It was an absolute war, though, as he said. Um, Physically, they matched up well with us. Lengthwise, they matched up well with us. They had good shooters. Um, And ultimately, when you look at the box scores and you see the adjustments made, um, and this is one series where you can just chalk up to the fact that, that the Lakers got out of this series because they had Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And because they had those two guys, you can just sometimes there are just moments in basketball where when you have the two best players on the floor, it just overpowers everything else because all the other statistics and all the other matchups were pretty even. Um, And they even had some advantages in some areas. But when you have those two guys, sometimes in basketball, that's just the way it works. 
you just take the check you go all right yep those two guys are just better than anything we have and we can't counter that and that to me when i watched this and i was reading through some of my old tweets from that series it was the common theme over and over and over again they, they don't there's nothing that that can stop lebron or ad in, in that series and ultimately that that star power won that series and that's not the case in all the other ones yeah i i think that's kind of the story of um, the playoffs in general is Anthony Davis and, and LeBron being able to show up and, and play so well. Um, Anthony Davis had that incredible game winner. Um, I, I think that that drastically changed what the series was because we had a couple of games in that series that were really close. And if the Nuggets um, somehow pulled uh, those games off, it, it could have been a completely different series. Um, but just like what John Webb said, uh, going to Dwight Howard, I think was a great call. Um, he played incredible, um, turned us into Dwight Howard fans again. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, which is uh, hard to say, but yeah. um, something that, that nece- wasn't necessarily particular to this series, but that came into my mind was the use of Ron Rondo. Uh, a lot of people were kind of skeptical about whether or not he should be playing, especially with, you know, some people being for him, some people being against him, not thinking he did super well in the regular season. Um, but as soon as he came back from that injury, uh, you know, a lot of people called into question um, that move to to put him into the rotation like they did. But Rajon Rondo really proved everybody wrong and, prove that our coaching staff knows what they're doing um yep especially looking at just from the very beginning of the season you know we held out for so long for, for Kawhi Leonard because we thought 100% we're gonna get Kawhi we just have to wait on him just gotta wait and then you know we got kind of played and everybody thought like well now we we just have the, the table scraps to pick up we don't have um anything of real worth to pick up um but we we were able to assemble you know apparently a championship level or caliber team um the the coaching staff was very good at at picking up the the weapons that we needed and i feel like we had all the right weapons to deal with the teams in the playoffs no i couldn't i couldn't agree more um let, let's go ahead and talk about now the heat um you know what 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 did you guys see there? What kind of adjustments did you see um, there? Well, something they had to figure out really quickly um, was how they were going to match up with a lineup uh, that had, you know, Bam and then two shooters. And, and I know Hero came off the bench to start, um, but with Jimmy Butler handling the ball and then Goran Dragic going out, was huge in game one mm-hmm. um, really impacted the rest of the series um i think lakers would have won in six sure. if he was healthy right. it, it would have been way more fun to watch him because he was playing arguably the best basketball of his career um right. in the playoffs. but they had to figure out lakers had to figure out what they were going to do uh with that lineup switch and um give the heat a lot of credit they threw they threw everything at the Lakers. The Heat threw everything they had. Zone, man, switch, um, you know, press, uh, leaving some guys, purposefully leaving some guys. 
um, and the Lakers had to figure out offensively and then defensively, you know, the, the heat run as good of stuff as there is in the NBA on the offensive end, the, the handoff action with the shooters coming off the corner and, and obviously Jimmy Butler with the mid range and his ISOs. And they caused a lot of problems when Lakers tried to switch and what the Lakers had to do, they really had to go small again uh, and get Dwight out of there. Dwight was really struggling guarding those switches on Jimmy Butler, got into foul trouble a lot and they got so many free throws because of it. And um, those small switches, again, give Vogel credit. He is, he's not scared to do um, what is best for the team to win. At the end of the day, if you're an NBA coach and that's what you do, then you have to be happy with it as a fan base. And he's willing to tell he, – and he must be really good at communicating with them because it's hard as an NBA guy, to, especially when you're a, a star or a former star that's still playing like a Dwight Howard to hear – Hey, you got to take a, a different role again. And, you know, I know we needed you and you've been playing well, but now we got to take you out again. And he must have done great because those guys were engaged the whole time uh, at communicating that. He must have done great communicating that, I should say. Um, but those little, those little things that they did. And then ultimately, again, um, you know, LeBron James is just, he's just too much. I mean, he's, he's just too much to handle. And hearing a little bit of the heats from the Heat's coaching staff, they, they knew that as well. Um, and they were really, honestly, and I, this is, here's your little inside scoop. They were hoping he wasn't going to be aggressive. That's what they were hoping. They were hoping he was going to be passive to give them a chance um, because they knew they did not have a matchup for him. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were hoping that he was going to be what he does, which is feel out the game, you know, pass early. Um, and they knew we don't have any, but with Bam going down, and with, uh, you know, Drogic, I know he's not a defender, but I'm just saying that they didn't have anything to counter what the Lakers had at that point. Um, and so they were hoping that he was going to be passive. And obviously he knew better than that. And um, that's when those things, but again, he are good enough to scare you. And they still, they still take two. And, you know, they, uh, the Lakers had to make adjustments every game. Every game they had to make an adjustment, though, if you watch back that series. They did something different every game. So, Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I kind of thought that that the Lakers were going to uh, cruise through the series after that first game blowout and Dragic and Bam both going down, but they uh, they definitely put up a, a lot bigger fight than than I thought they would, and – um, this is another big props to our coaching staff because, like he said, um, they had to call on some guys to to play a different role. Um, they they decided to sit um, Dwight Howard, and he, even when he had an incredible series the series before. And uh, I mean, I guess this is why I'm not on the coaching staff, but I was definitely one of those fans yelling at the the TV screen about him not being in there and playing because I thought he was doing an incredible job and was a big part of why we were there in the finals in the first place. But uh, I think Anthony Davis excels exceptionally at the, the five, even though that's not his role of, or his position of preference. Um, he does incredible. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, Le LeBron definitely is not going to, uh, take a back seat in those situations you know i i know um to a degree what what they're thinking and uh lebron does do that sometimes he he likes to get his uh his team involved and sometimes he's not selfish enough 
um, no. in in some clutch plays. Sometimes he'll he'll avoid trying to be the one who who takes that last shot. Uh, I I don't know if you can necessarily say that he's afraid of it. Uh, he's hit some clutch shots and stuff before, but um, I I've seen him step away from it. Uh, but I I think he knew that there was some blood in the water and he was not going to let it slip through his fingers this time. He, he has a legacy to seal. And so he took advantage and, and he was aggressive. And I, I think that that was absolutely the difference. And that's why he won the finals MVP. Yep. And that, that is why they, that is why the heat zone, they were hoping that LeBron would hang out the three point line and settle for those mm-hmm. and be able to slow the pace down and not let the Lakers get in transition uh, that is why they zoned a lot in that series too, hoping that, Hey, if we can just get him to settle for that, then, you know, that's a win for us. But um, it, Anthony Davis arrived as we know, and just completely. And again, another series where those two guys are just too much uh, for the other team. You know, honestly, coach, I, I was high on this Miami team all season. I saw it from the get go, like early on the season. I coach, Spo is underrated. He's he's just underrated. I I don't understand that at all. He's a top um, three league. Yep, yep. I couldn't agree more. And this series was really a battle of identities, and it's a it's like a chess match. You know, you you coach right, coach. I mean, like how how important is identity to a team? Oh, it's how do you get players to buy in. And, and it's the hardest thing to do. And it's specifically the hardest thing to do in the NBA uh, when you have a bunch of egos running around with a lot of money and a lot of talent, <laughs> a skill and a lot of background success too. You know, you got all these guys coming from all over. Um, and, and as you've probably heard the stories, but it is what makes LeBron so great. It is his, it's, it is his legacy. You know, the fact that he is arguably the best player to ever play the game of basketball Yet, from all indications and everything we've heard, he is also the best teammate. Um, you can't, they didn't have anything negative to say about him. I don't know about past runs because I am really locked into the Lakers. So I know maybe previously there had been some spats with him. Maybe, I don't know. But I do know that from what I read this year, I mean, everything is so, he's so calm. He's so, he's in there early. He's the last one to leave. He's getting guys in the gym. He's, throwing parties for guys he's having guys over um and that identity builds and you build a thing i mean those guys are you can tell man that is a different environment than anywhere else in the nba right now the lakers have the best environment in the nba for guys to want to play in i mean how could you not want to play in that when you watch them uh how they root for each other how they bought into to this concept and 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 let's face it in a 17th season he played point guard the guy, right. the guy just said, you know what guys i'll handle point guard and leave the league in assists i mean we are really we have to start considering how amazing and great this guy really is it is he is the catalyst though to all this i mean he brought ad in and got ad right on board and and give it give him credit you heard ad say what makes him different is i'm allowed to i'm i call him out in practice and he doesn't fire back at me or, or shoot or, you know, throw me to the side. He says, you know what? You're right. I got to be better. I got to do that better on defense. Now, how many guys do that? You're watching Houston right now imploding 
because nobody on their team can do that. And so, as I said, the environment there is the best in the NBA. And that's why I can't wait to talk about segment three coming up. (laughs) Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, All right. Well, let's, I think that was a good discussion, man. I think that was, uh, that was perfect. Um, Let's take our last break here though. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about quickly some, some, some recent Lakers off season news. So stay tuned and we'll talk to you in a minute. Hey guys, this is McKay with the Hashtag Laker Podcast. I wanted to talk to you about Jersey Bird, your number one custom jersey shop. They've got high quality, low priced jerseys for you, your family, and friends. The folks at Jersey Bird are really dedicated to bringing you the very best jerseys with a focus on dependability, durability, and customer satisfaction. They've even got custom Kobe and LeBron high school jerseys for you to enjoy. So don't show up to your buddy's watch party looking like a bum. Hop on jerseybirdofficial.com, take a look at their selection, and use promo code LAKERS to get 10% off your order. Again, that's promo code LAKERS to get 10% off your order at jerseybirdofficial.com. Welcome back to the Hashtag Laker Podcast. I'm here with McKay, John Webb, and Coach Mark Tinklenberg. And on, the, and on this last segment, um, we want to talk about some of the off-season Lakers news that came about. Um, first off, you know, we heard that uh, free agency now starts on November 20th, a few days from now. Uh, signings start on the November 22nd. And, and talks on opening the NBA transaction window that would involve trades, contract opt-ins and opt-outs, et cetera, are, are looking like it's going to be uh, two or three days prior to the draft, which is on November 18th next week. Um, we also heard, uh, this is in free agency, that the Lakers are interested in, in two uh, centers, right? This is Tristan Thompson and Serge Ibaka. Um, what do you guys think about bringing either of those guys to the Lakers? Stop so, trying to turn the Lakers into the Cavs. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about Tristan Thompson. That's how I feel about J.R. Smith. You guys have heard heard that before. Um, <laughs> Serge Ibaka, I, I like him. I'm a fan of him. Uh, he's a little bit older, but but I like him. I'll, I'll just I'll just keep it to that. And coach, you know, the downside of having, you know, contracts structured, how they were is really, we may potentially have glaring holes at every position. <laughs> so we have, we have player options and free agents. We, we want to consider signing and, but it might be beneficial for other teams to sign them away from us. So, you know, I, I like it. If we could get Tristan Thompson and Serge Ibaka, it it'd be it'd be great, but you know the connection here is obvious with Tristan Thompson, you know Khloe Kardashian. I, I mean LeBron James. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I I like how I like how Thompson has developed since LeBron has left. 
Cleveland, you know, he's, he's become sort of this, this leader, right? And that's, that's something we need just in case we lose that veteran leadership on our team. But he's also become a, a better passer, a better playmaker. And not to mention, he's, he's a great three-point shooter. So you have sort of a bon- bona fide, like, stretch hybrid center. And I think the other part to this is, is that I think this is a clear indication uh, that the Lakers aren't going to be willing to spend any more than uh, minimal or minimum on, say, Dwight Howard coming back, Um, you know, with his age and stuff. So uh, to me, these two names coming out first, it just set off a red flag like, well, it looks like we're losing Dwight, you know, (laughs) Uh, JaVale McGee's under contract for another year. Um, and I think if you bring these two guys in, I know Abaka is, he's been in the NBA for a while now. I think he's only 31, 31, I think. Um, but I know that he's their guy that they want. He would really fill a massive need at that four or five position. Um, he brings a lot of um, kind of interchangeable options with AD. Um, Tristan Thompson, I really like his rebounding. He's, he's similar uh, but we are losing, we're going to lose quite a bit of physicality. As you said, I think there's going to be some, some, some holes coming up here. And from what I read, uh, the cap is not going to allow the Lakers. It's going to hurt the Lakers more than it's going to help. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know, you guys know more than I do about, did we get that $5 million back for Luol Dang or, or is that still undecided? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that's not still yet. up in the air uh, as of today, which is Thursday, the 11th. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. I know that uh, there might be some decision ha- being handed down uh, before uh, draft night, but we'll see what happens there. It's funny, Coach, that you mentioned uh, Dwight Howard because on our Instagram page, Lakers Daily Scoop, we posted a video, and this was uh, recorded from Serge Ibaka's best friend, and it was it was posted on his Instagram story. This is his best friend, right, uh, where he showed a picture first of, of Serge in Laker gold with LeBron, AD, Shannon Sharp, and D- Jenny Taft from, from Fox, right, from Fox Sports, um, followed with, with uh, some videos of Serge in the gym just working out. And he's also bouncing around a basketball that's glowing purple and gold. And Dwight Howard on our post, he, he liked the post and he commented on it either or, or, or on it with, with uh, depending on how you interpret this, an angry, two angry mad emojis or, or like I'm, I'm pumped emojis, whatever yeah. that means. <laughs> Up for interpretation, man. I think he's leaving the door open for a return. I, I think he also might see, see the writing on the wall. I don't know. Um, but I do think that the Lakers, I do from what I gather that Abaka is their top priority um right outside of a trade now we're talking strictly free agency he is their top priority um and that is what i think makes rob palenka so good um he comes from that ever evolving never settle you know we there's gonna always be change every year mentality that that him and kobe i think share i think that's what made him such a great agent for kobe um and i think he sees abaca as a really a massive piece to make another title run. And, and I, I would agree. So I, from all indications, he's going to get the money before Dwight, if it comes down to anything like that. Hey, and uh, you know, during the season, uh, Dwight and 
and JaVale kind of split minutes um, in terms of center. I, I could definitely see the Lakers bringing on Ibaka and keeping Dwight as well and and kind of just pushing uh, JaVale McGee out of that rotation. Unfortunately, you know, I really like JaVale McGee as a player, but um, just from like what we saw in the playoffs, he, he barely got any playing time. Um, he wasn't really much of a priority for the team. And, and I, I think we keep him because he's under contract, um, but wouldn't be surprised if we tried to bundle him in, in an off season deal. Um, Dwight Howard has made his money, you know, he's made his money as a player. And I hope now the things he sees of greatest importance are our championships. And I think he's got to really accept if he, if we want to have him back. Um, and, and I, I don't see any reason why um, other than monetary reasons, why we wouldn't want to have him back. Right. Um, I think he has to accept mm-hmm. his role, not only as a player on the court, but um, in terms of how much money he can command and, and if he really wants us to to continue this championship run, he needs to leave some money out there for us to be able to sign some other big name players. Right. No. No. I, I completely agree. Um, all right. Let's move on. So it's kind of funny. Um, just this week, we saw a lot of uh, rumors going out about basically these Lake our Lakers players looking for raises basically this is what it is you know there was a rumor out there that kuzma wants a sizable amount of money this offseason since he's extension uh, eligible uh, and also that the lakers might be willing to give him that extension uh, but are also open to trade talks at trading him we also heard that kcp won't be due you know we we heard that he's going to opt out right um but he's not going to do the Lakers any favors and he's looking for a big raise for uh, due to his per, uh, playoff performance. Rajon is in the same boat. Uh, apparently he wants $9 million, right? Um, Avery looks like changing representation. This is came in today uh, and he's evaluating whether to decline his 5 million player option and test out free agency. Um, and he probably, you know, this is probably because he's looking for, for a raise as well. So what do you guys think about these reports? And, and if you had to choose, you know, we keep it in mind our, our, our limitations here, right? We don't have a lot of money once we sign AD, right? And assuming that we'll sign him to, to a big contract to the max, we'll only have nine, around $9 million in exception. Uh, that's the the MLE, the, the mid-level exception. And then we also have the biannual exception, which is around like $3 million. That's all we have that we could spend uh, on, on on raises or, or uh, free agents um, this, this offseason. Like if you had a chance or if you, if you had a choice, you know, who would you, what would you do you, uh, with, with these sort of demands, right? What well, I think we we've talked about it in the past pod, but you know Kuzma, KCP, Rajon Rondo, Avery Bradley, they're the least of my worries, right? I want Keith. You know, I I want that money going to Keith, and then maybe Rajon Rondo. Right. So you know Kuzma, KCP, 
Avery Bradley. Okay, fine. But I want Keith Morris back. And I think um, <clears throat> I'm going to tag, tag along with that. I, I agree with that. And I think the one thing we have to keep in mind as fans is that sometimes you have to wonder and you have to look at the whole picture and say, some of these guys, you know, this is their chance to get one last contract. And you also have to remember this happens every time a team wins the championship. Those guys that are going to be free agents, their stock is the highest it's ever going to be. They know that. Mm -hmm. And so are they going to chase the money? But I think the, the good news is, is that for some of these guys, I do wonder, some of these guys, did we tap in and get the most out of them? Because, you know, are we ever really, if we sign these guys two or three more years, are we ever going to get that again in the playoffs? I don't know. You know, Rajon Rondo, are we really ever going to get that again? I, I don't want to doubt him because I did a lot of the year and then he completely proved all of us wrong. But if we give him $9 million for two or three years, are we really going to get, you know, or did we tap in and get the most we could already? Um, and to me, I think uh, the guy that earned it the most and the guy that will be the most valuable with the most minutes to that money is KCP. Um, so, and quite frankly, that is the one area of need right now that is the most in flux. Um, that two guard position, that, hybrid two three one two three and um you know that was a guy i see um that took took his beatings this year from twitter's uh lakers twitter nation and uh you know a lot of us were down a lot of the year but but earn those minutes so to me i i, I think markeith morris is a huge piece I, I don't think you can let him go and i think kcp is the one out of these guys that i'm looking at that is going to be the one that if he's seeking a big time raise. What was he sitting at before? Um, 9 million, I think, right? Wasn't he 9 million a year? Right, right. He, he wasn't making that much, right? So, but I think we have his bird rights, correct? So I think that we can, you know, we can work some things in with him. So KCP to me is the guy that I think earned it the most. And, and I do wonder if some of these guys are, are maybe tapped out. And if we, if we let them go, are we losing um, as much as maybe we may? Don't, I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you. Um, you know, all these players that we're talking about have been pretty, were pretty integral um, players during the playoffs for us. Uh, Keith showed up big. Uh, I didn't have any kind of expectations for him. And uh, he really blew me out of the water. Um, I, I really liked Avery Bradley during the year. Um, he was incredible, yeah. both on the offensive and defense Yep. defensive end i felt like he was our number three guy um so you know i have got some mixed feelings about him too though just because he didn't show up to to the playoffs um i don't feel like he necessarily earned that spot you know kind of like what you said with kcp um he definitely did during the year for me but um it i don't know just I, I kind of feel like it's doing us dirty if he comes and tries to demand more money after he sat out on the rest of the team. Um, so just, but I would really, really like to see him back. Um, KCP has been incredible. He's, um, he's a young talent still. He's, he could be great for us for, for years to come. Um, it, it's a really tough decision, you know, that, that we've got to, that we've got to make. Um, I think the cut 
even though I like him in terms of how well he played, it would probably come down to Rondo. Just like what you said, he's an aging player. He was in, he was incredible for us during the playoffs. Um, he was great with, with that uh, second unit as well. And whenever LeBron James was sitting, uh, but as much as, as much as I hate it, I, I feel like he would be the one that I would probably let go of that bunch. Yeah. And, and the other part to that is, is that we do have Alex Caruso. And to me, he is, he's, at, I mean, he, he fills more holes than, than anybody right now. I mean, that's a guy that's going to see his playing time. You know, he's going to get, he may start, he probably will start and he will probably get, you know, 30 minutes a night moving forward uh, based on how he finished the season as a starter in the finals. Yeah. No, I completely agree with, with Alex Caruso. I'm, I'm, I'm big on Alex <laughs> Caruso, dude. Um, but uh, going back to, to, to these four, right. Um, uh, I mean, we can't keep all four of them. If they all want raises, we can't keep them. We don't have very uh, cap, even with our exceptions. Um, it, it may you know, be helpful if, if like we were talking about uh, with Lil Dank's contract being written off the books, I think it was like r- roughly 5 million might be helpful to have that money. Um, so I'm hoping that the NBA can approve that. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, with Kuzma, you know, he, he, he's eligible for, for an extension, but we don't have to, to give it to him. He's a, uh, you know, he's a, uh, 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 um, he's a free agent next, next season. So, um, and we, we probably might have a lot more money then than we do now. So uh, it might even be better for him then to, to sign up with the Lakers uh, or, or whatever. Um, but I agree with all your co- comments. Keith, definitely keep him. Uh, then it would be KCP, uh, uh, then Avery, then, then Rajon Rondo. But with Avery Bradley, I think, you know, Harrison Fagan, uh, you know, uh, I think one of the uh, conclusions that he had about – uh, why Avery Bradley, you know, sent this out into the universe uh, of, of, of journalism <laughs> so that people can report this is um, he said that, you know, there, there's logical, there's, there's two logical conclusions to this, you know, one, he already has someone under the, under the table offering him some money or two. Um, and he said, this is more like the more likely answer is, he wants his name to be kept out of trade talks. He wants to stay in the Lakers. And by doing this, it forces the Lakers. Okay. All right. Okay. We're, we'll, 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 we won't, we won't do that. We'll, we'll make sure that you're, you're part of the Lakers team, uh, you know, into the next season, but uh, all right. So, um, so that's, uh, you know, some of those new, the, the news that came out, uh, other news that came out was about potential trades. Now that we're talking about that, um, two names came up this week. One was uh, Russell Westbrook. Apparently, he wants out of Houston, and one of the teams that are potential suitors is uh, our team, the Lakers. Uh, but he he ultimately ultimately wants to return to how it was back in OKC and and be a floor general. Uh, and then there's also Demar Derozan. Uh, it was reported that. Uh, also that the Lakers are interested in for him, they would trade Kuzma and Danny Green for him. Um, and remember that we know that there's some history with Kuzma and Pop from last summer 
when Coos played with Pop in, in Team USA. Pop loved Coos. And then, of course, you know, Danny Green used to play with, with Pop in, in the Spurs. But, uh, you know, what do you guys think these, these two potential trade targets um, that the Lakers could make? Uh, you know, me and John Webb had a, a little bit of a conversation about this earlier. Um, it's it, a good way to put it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was probably more, more an argument than anything, but, um, we, well, I, I think we might be on the same page when it comes to Russell Westbrook. Well, Russell Westbrook is, um, you know, he wants to be the alpha dog wherever he goes, but if he comes to the Lakers, that's not what he's going to be. Um, I, I think he's kind of felt like he's gotten jacked his entire career um being behind uh whether it was kevin durant or uh james harden um it it, he's not going to be in a happy situation i don't think in those terms if he comes to the lakers uh he's gonna have to take a back seat he would be that number three guy um he would get a championship but i don't know if that's enough uh, for him to be happy. Uh, I, I just don't think that's a very good fit. Uh, when it comes to DeMar DeRozan, I say pull the freaking trigger. I would love that. I've loved DeMar DeRozan as a player. And um, we we had this little discussion as to whether or not he would fit well with with uh, LeBron and, and AD on the floor um, or, or if he could play in, in the second unit. Um, I don't think he would be willing to do that, uh, nor do I think that he necessarily should. Uh, I think that's that would be a tremendous um, trade, especially uh, – I've talked about it in the past about uh, Danny Green. I've, I've kind of become disillusioned with him after his performance this last year. Uh, and I – think it would be great if we could shed his contract um kuzma's not gonna fulfill that role that everybody wanted him to as much as i myself wanted him to and and have tried to stick behind him as well i think he's he's a good role player and he can do um certain things well but he's not going to be that third option i don't believe and i think demar Derozan would be an excellent acquisition for the lakers So, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. Like, pull the freaking trigger. But seeing, you know, what, what DeMar DeRozan excels at is the mid-range shot. And having AD, LeBron James, and DeMar DeRozan simultaneously in, on the floor, there's no spacing. You'll, you'll lose it. So I, I was telling McKay, you know, yes, make the trade. But DeMar DeRozan might have to take a step back and lead that second unit. All right. I need you guys here you go, to go coach. I need you to hear me very, very clearly here. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, Russell Westbrook. No, thank you. Okay. Absolutely not. DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> I need you all to hear me out. Okay. DeMar DeRozan. I think the Lakers are going to pull as much as they can to add Derek white to that deal. I don't think it will happen. Um, if DeMar DeRozan remains on the table for Kuzma and Danny Green, this is a 100% must happen as soon as they figure out that that's the deal they can get. Um, 
you know, he, his, um, what he could bring, and I need you guys to, to hear me out here, okay? Because I agree with everything you're saying with the spacing and stuff. But what he could bring to that pick and roll when LeBron James comes out, and if he stays in, you know, LeBron subs out with like five minutes to go in the first quarter, four minutes to go in the first quarter. Uh, and that pick and roll game that he could bring and that mid range. Um, and you know, the Lakers want to run and DeMar in transition and him getting to the free throw line um, and his athleticism on that wing uh, cutting kind of like Kuzma does that Kuzma's really started getting wet when LeBron is being the ball handle, the primary ball handler, him cutting off of those from opposite wings and stuff. Uh, if a team wants to zone you up to me, he's a 22 point a game scorer last year. 22, five and five. Um, we will never get that production anymore from Danny Green. And I don't foresee Kyle Kuzma turning into a 20 point score. Um, I think DeMar DeRozan's athleticism is different than anything what we have on that wing position. I think he is a seamless fit to this team. Um, and I think he's as big of a, a plug and play type of guy as maybe there is on the trade market. And I think if you can get him, I know he's in a, he'll be a free agent next year, but if you can get him for a year and have him come in and um, start, you know, getting out on the break and cutting and being a primary pick and roll ball handler when, when LeBron comes out, guys, that is a scary sight for anybody trying to guard that team. Absolutely. No. Oh, and um, I, I'm, I definitely share your sentiments and, uh, there was a lot of things talked about off the po off the pod, um, but I, I definitely think that he he could fit extremely well. Um, and and I had mentioned you know, you know there's there's these scenarios where um, it, it may not be the same thing, but you see players like uh, uh, Russell Westbrook and and James Harden having to to share the floor together or or Chris Paul and James Harden um where they previously had the the ball solely going through them um they can they can still be just as dangerous the the coaching staff still make work uh I, I I mentioned that you know that Chris Paul and James Harden squad very nearly beat golden state in the playoffs and i think they would have if chris paul would not have gotten injured um i i absolutely think that we can make it work i i don't think he's got to go to the second unit i think he can be part of the first unit um i don't think you know that being said um i don't know if he'll still be a, a 22 5 and 5 guy um i definitely think he'll be at least an 18 point uh a game player but mm -hmm. I think absolutely if the Spurs are gun ho about that and I mean, test the waters, you know, if, if we can get more, we can get more dope. But if not, I would gladly trade, trade Kuz and Danny green for DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. I think I, I agree. Uh, you know, to extent, actually, no, I agree with, with all your, what you're saying with, with all of you guys. Um, you know, I, I understand the concerns, here with him like you, you we'd mentioned here and right now like if we step back a little bit right now the lakers have four guys uh who can check big wings right and defend big wings that's 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 danny green uh coos ron and ad and and they're all relatively they're 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 three-point 
shot makers, right? So those are your th- your your four three and D guys, um, and you're trading two of them for a mid. So that's one thing that we need to to understand. But I think you know the trade would be worth it. Uh, I think that the coaching staff, and I said this in the, in our conversation, uh, um, in our chat, like the coaching staff staff is going to find a way for DeMar DeRozan to thrive in the Lakers. Uh, because like we've talked about in the, in the, in the rest of the pod, the, the coaching staff is, is well-equipped, well-skilled, well-pedigreed to, to handle this type of situation. And I believe in our coaching staff. And the other thing that I want uh, to, to point out is, look, uh, maybe the Lakers have uh, things in place, domin- dominoes in place, already in place like they know that there's a mid-range guy coming on right they they wouldn't be in this move if if they uh and, and they wouldn't know like they're not dumb they they know that there's probably going to be some sort of uh liability right uh, uh, with bringing the the um demar de rosen in and also the lack of a floor spacing ability so you know there there's got to be something up rob palinka's sleeves some shooters, some guy like Ibaka <laughs> that will help space the floor out. Gallinari. Um, but uh, Gallinari, exactly. I believe enough on in, in the our front office and Rob Palinka, dude. That guy, dude. <laughs> that guy's the man. So, um, so yeah, a, you know, th- those are my thoughts on DeMar DeRozan. It's a great time to be a Lakers fan because I think that they have so many options that we don't, as you said, we probably don't know about. But, you know, if you get DeMar, then, you know, you got the third best defender having to guard him every night. And I just want to point out, he shot 53% from the field this year, his highest field goal percentage of his career for a San Antonio Spurs team that was running around with a bunch of guys that don't really shoot, right? The San Antonio Spurs, they're a motion-based predicated offense and he shot 53% from the field. Um, and he's going to get the third best defender every night if this trade goes through. Um, and so I just think you make it even harder to find matchups if you're the Lakers for opposing teams. Uh, and I, I think he would, I really truly think he would thrive with this, with this specific lineup, um, three-point shooter or not. Right. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if he does come I would look to Frank Vogel to bring back some of the offense maybe that he had in Indiana, you know, a lot of high ball screens, flare screens, pin downs, um, maybe even some step, step up ball screens. So there's a lot of screens that you could throw that DeMar DeRozan would definitely just master. And I honestly just, just give him the Phil Handy, right. And let yeah. Phil, Handy, Phil Handy do his thing. Yep. 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 All right, guys. I think that's that's it for today. Um, Mark, uh, I'm going to give you the floor here for a little bit to plug, uh, you know, yourself. How the our listeners can find you here. Well, I'm on Twitter mostly. Uh, it's where I, and it's Mark underscore A underscore Tink T I N K. Um, that's where I do a lot of my um, Lakers conversations, and I'm also on Instagram. But uh, I just want to say thanks for you guys. Uh, incredible preparation for this and you guys have so much insight it's been a pleasure talking Lakers with you guys it really has 
No, we we appreciate you hopping on the show and uh, uh, really, you know, bringing in a, a coach to talk about how the, the you know the Lakers coaching staff uh, impacted the the Lakers and, and, and their postseason run. I think that was valuable for 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 uh, uh, for us and for the listeners of the show. Um, so thank you for hopping on. But uh, all right, let's end it here, guys. Um, make sure you follow us on Twitter at hashtag LakerPod. Follow, subscribe, and give us a five star review wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, especially if you like this and enjoyed this uh, particular episode. We would appreciate the follow and the reviews, and it'll continue to it'll help us continue to do what we're doing. We're also on Instagram, like we mentioned, we're uh, at Lakers Daily Scoop. Um, lots of great content there, videos and uh, up-to-date news on, uh, on, on all things uh, Lakers. Uh, with that said, have a great day. Root for the Lakers, and we'll talk to you guys next time. This game's in the Admiral refrigerator. The door is closed, the light's out. Butter's getting hard, the eggs are cooling, and the jello is jiggling. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.